0: The big story globally today is Prince Philip passed away at the age of 99 last night or early this morning in Windsor Castle, and the world has begun to mourn. Of course, Canada is a big part of the Commonwealth. Amanda Connolly joins us. She's our political reporter for Global News. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on, Amanda. Thanks so much for having me. It's a busy day. It is a busy day, and I'm thrilled to have you because this is going to be a regular feature with us on Fridays. We'll check in with you to see what's going on in Ottawa. And right now, wh- what does Ottawa look like? Um, have we lowered the flags? How are we honoring Prince Philip this morning?
1: Yes, yeah, so the lowering of the flag there really is the the, the first kind of sign that uh, of the significance of this this passing. All of the flags uh, on government buildings here in Ottawa are being lowered to half-mast from pretty much right now until the evening of whenever uh, the funeral funeral will be for Prince Philip. Again, we don't really have a clear date on that right now. There's a lot that we just, we simply don't have details on because this is breaking kind of as it happens. We do know though that that uh, will certainly uh, be complicated by the fact that the COVID-19 pandemic is really uh, tightening its grip in the third wave um, all around the world right now. There are a lot of restrictions on travel, on things like that. And so it's really not clear even who from the government, uh, who from Canada might attend that funeral as well. A lot of unanswered questions and certainly a lot of uh, a, lo- a lot of. Moving parts here in Ottawa as we move forward through this.
0: Normally, the governor general would, I would imagine, go to a royal funeral.
1: Yeah, exactly. So normally, that's that's the the role that you would see there. Of course, at the moment, we don't have a governor general. Uh, we we uh, Julie Payette uh, resigned from that role back in January. Uh, there has not not been a new governor general appointed. We do have an administrator, and that is. Uh, Richard Wagner of the uh, Supreme Court of Canada. He is the chief justice there. And he did take that oath to serve in that role um, after that resignation. So that basically gives him all of the duties and the responsibilities of that role. Now, it's not clear yet whether he will be traveling to London. Uh, It's not clear whether Prime Minister Justin Trudeau will be traveling to London. We're going to have to wait and see what happens there. It would happen really, um, we've been told back in February on a case-by-case basis, if it were to happen at all. Uh, We've certainly gone back to Ask more questions to Rideau Hall and to the government about how that might work, given the current circumstances and the the public health measures that are in place right now. So hopefully we'll have more detail on that shortly.
0: Yeah, it is an odd time. I know that Prince Philip didn't want a lot of fuss around his uh, funeral. He had made that very clear. It's going to be a nine day um, event, for lack of a better word, where his body will be moved to St. James Place and it won't be in state. Uh, it will not be open for viewing to the public. And then he'll be going back to Windsor Castle for the a funeral at the Queen's Chapel on day nine. I think the official mourning period is 30 days. Now we know that he was not only, um, a general in the Canadian army. He was the, the pretty, a privy counselor. He was a consort for this country for the Queen for over 60 years, admiral in the Canadian Navy, uh, Colonel in chief of many Canadian regiments. If at all, I know that things are just unfolding right now, but what are you hearing? Um, are we going to see a lot of different, Uh, ceremonies, maybe, albeit small, over the next month, that is the official period of mourning in Canada, do you suspect?
1: Yeah, I would certainly expect that that will be the case. Uh, we do know that there will be some kind of a book of commemoration, for example, made available to Canadians, likely at uh, different legislatures or uh, different different venues in, in a safe way. That would normally be what at least traditionally happens in these circumstances. Uh, what will be done with the, the COVID measures in place, of course, for example, uh, distancing. Uh, who knows if we will see things like appointments to, to work on that kind of stuff. Um, really a lot of kind of moving parts to see how they adapt all of these normal sort of protocols and and happenings for the COVID era. And of course, um, you would certainly expect to see kind of a commemoration ceremony. Of course, the House of Commons also comes back on Monday, I would be surprised if we didn't see a moment of silence, for example, some kind of um, gesture to mark that passing in the House of Commons when it is when it is back. That would certainly be fitting with what we've seen in the past uh, from for other kind of uh, individuals of, of a, a high high level and high, high role, high importance in Canadian society. Because of course, as you mentioned there, he, he has been um, very involved in Canadian uh, institutions, he is very well loved by a lot of Canadians as well. And so I think that we're certainly going to see um, commemorations and efforts to honor him uh, going forward. And those will, of course, have to be adapted, though, because of COVID.
0: Now, speaking of COVID, you're working on a lot of stories. Let's talk about this really interesting story. This hadn't occurred to me, but spies are essential to our our security here in Canada. There's a story, a CISA story that you're working on. Um, where there are some people saying that this, they should be deemed essential workers, are Canadian spies and be vaccinated? What can you tell us about this?
1: Yeah, I think this is a conversation, of course, that a lot of a, a lot of Canadians can likely. Um, Resonate with, of course, the conversation about who is essential and who should have uh, priority access to the vaccines is playing out across the country right now, across the province at the moment. And so, what we what we saw earlier in the week here is that um, this is also uh, th- this is also a factor for for Csis for the the country's spies, as you mentioned there. The director of Csis we did confirm has COVID nineteen. It's not clear how or when he got that. There are also limited and contained outbreaks we've heard from Csis. At some of that, uh, the agencies, uh, bureaus, and offices across the country, and so we're really seeing this um, questions being raised right now about uh, whether whether spies and intelligence workers and the people who who have to be in those offices, CSIS is saying to do this work, this classified work, uh, should be given early access to the vaccines because of uh, because of that requirement to be uh, in the office, a lack of a lack of being able to work remotely, and so it, it's raising a lot of questions too because we have heard from. Other security agencies, in particular, the CSE, which is Canada's signals intelligence agency, and also from the RCMP that they, they've they been doing, um, moving a lot more of their staff over to remote work. And so we've certainly heard some questions raised about why they've been able to do that, and CSIS, it seems, uh, has not to the same extent. That's really an ongoing question that we haven't, uh, we haven't really gotten a clear answer to right now. But again, it's playing out in this much bigger backdrop that I think a lot of Canadians are are going through as well about um, how do you decide who should be getting access to these really coveted and really precious vaccines at a time when there is so much danger from the virus right now.
0: I know that the province says it's ramping up its vaccines to highest risk communities and essential workers. We're hearing that if you're in 53 postal codes in Toronto, 50 uh, and up now, you can get the vaccine. They will be asking for your proof of address, though. They want to look at that postal code and make sure you are actually uh, part of that community. But Doug Ford is still being asked questions, despite the fact that we had a record number of vaccines going in arms yesterday, I think 108,000 in the province. What's going on with the vaccines in the freezer? Can you maybe give us a little bit more of a, uh insight into what's going on with this story and why it continues to dog our premier here.
1: Absolutely. This is a big one that we hear a lot of folks talking about. I think a lot of people are concerned about right now. Anytime, anytime that you hear that there are vaccines sitting in freezers, I think a lot of people go, well, what what is that about? Why aren't they going into people's arms? And so uh, we've certainly been looking into this. Doug Ford has certainly been asked a lot about this. And so the best uh, information that we've got so far is that uh, from both federal and Ontario health officials is that there are, of course, going to be a certain number of vaccines in freezers. Usually that's around 25% we've seen in different different jurisdictions around the country that are in freezers for um, various reasons. It's the preparations for the coming week. It's um, holding them for the folks who are immediately scheduled to get those doses um, in, in the short term. Uh, we've also seen in certain cases that number jumping up to around 35% in freezers. And that really is kind of where you start to get a lot of questions being asked. What we've heard so far is that that tends to happen on the days when there are deliveries of vaccines coming in. So when um, the the best kind of description I've heard from a colleague is uh, a a little bit akin perhaps to when you go grocery shopping at the start of each week, and all of a sudden you have um, a whole week's worth of groceries in your fridge. And then by the end of the week, it's really kind of petering out and you have to go back and restock that. So um, there's often things that are still in the fridge, for example, but you you do kind of tend to have more when that, that first uh, delivery or arrival of goods comes in. So that's, that's kind of the best um, sense that we have so far of what's going on with the vaccines in freezers question. And of course, this is coming as we are seeing a big ramp up of vaccines rolling out across the country. We're certainly seeing this growing political pressure as well. People are um, really feeling the weight of the past year both in terms of the economic effects on people's pocketbooks, being able to pay their bills, and also just this general frustration and this kind of um, difficulty understanding you know, we're, we're getting the vaccines uh, coming in, we're seeing them arrive, we're seeing other people get them, and people going, well, when is it going to be my turn, right? And of course, everyone right now is so, um, I think, so looking forward to that uh, that opportunity coming so that we can all go out and get those vaccines. Uh, it, it really is one that um, a lot of people are paying attention to, and I think, I think you're right, is, is a big point of concern.
0: I was watching Trudeau this week t- talking about how he's willing to uh, give help to the provinces if they want it, and they haven't been asking for it, but he's here for them. And I just wonder, where's the disconnect? Because we have our premier, Doug Ford, yelling, yeah, vaccines, more vaccines. What kind of help is Trudeau talking about and why aren't we seeing it?
1: Yeah, this I think is something that there's a lot of um, a lot of questions about right now. Of course, in politics, there's often more questions than answers, um, and so this is certainly true in this case. Again, the, the thorny, tricky part here is kind of balancing out that uh, the federal role when it comes to a jurisdiction that really is provincial in scope, right? So the federal government's um, role, it kind of, it always gets a little bit kind of into the weeds here when you're talking about like divisions of powers and things like that. But what that actually means and why it matters for people is that you have certain things that the federal government can do and certain things that they can't do. And healthcare really is one of those things. They can't intervene when it comes to uh, the the rolling out of, of, um, of healthcare in the provinces. That is solely the province's job. And so the government right now, we've really seen them um, trying to figure out what is their role going to be in this? What can they do? So far, that really has been focused on actually procuring the vaccines, bulk buying and rolling them out um, with the military to the provinces in terms of like that logistical delivery. Uh, What that will mean going forward, though, I think there's a lot of uncertainty about um, whether more federal support, for example, will mean... Uh, more money to the provinces to pay more people to come out and do this? Uh, Is there a role for the Canadian forces? I mean, could we see them be involved as well if there is a real big logjam in getting this out and and a real urgent need to ramp that up? Um, That's still unclear. I did reach out to the forces earlier in the week about this this, uh, question. I have not gotten a response back from Mm -hmm. them about whether they would be uh, capable or have the medical training on among their staff to do this if they were to be asked. We do know that they do of course have um, disaster response teams that normally deploy to international jurisdictions. It's not clear though, whether they could actually do that, that job here in Canada. So really a lot of questions about that, but certainly um, I think there's, there's a growing a growing uh, pressure on the government to really see where, where they can step up and what they can do to, to help the provinces here.
0: Well, Amanda, I want to thank you for stepping up today. It's the the first of many Fridays that we'll spend uh, together talking about what's going on as far as politics go and, you know, w- what stories are important or interesting to our listeners. So I thank you for your time and uh, have a safe and happy weekend.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, me too. That's Amanda Connolly, who is our political reporter for Global News, and she'll be doing a regular feature with me Fridays at 945.